Don't take your seats, Jess. Uh, I want us to do something that we haven't done in a while. We're going to stand while we read the Word of God together. Amen? Amen. All right. So uh, this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can walk over here in 4. And before we start, uh, my name is Will. I serve as one of the elders here at Fairfax Bible Church and also lead our student ministry. And uh, Elder uh, Rumball, thank you so much for just a great welcome. Uh, so as we read the scripture... On the screen, starting in verse 1 of James chapter 4, it reads as follows. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not, do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but gives grace to the humble? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. The one who speaks evil, one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today are Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever eats. So last year, uh, my wife and I were able to travel to Hawaii um, for a work trip. And um, some of my coworkers on the last day uh, decided that uh, we should hike this mountain called Coco Crater. Has anyone been there? Anyone hiked it? All right, we got a couple people here. So a little bit about Coco Crater, an elevation gain, and it takes about an hour and a half to complete it. So as you can see from the pictures, right, it's uh, really beautiful, and you can't see in this picture right here, it's a little dark, but it's railroad tracks that you're actually climbing up. And it's pretty difficult to complete, right? So you can't see it too well, but in this picture, it's about five in the morning. So I'm in a rush to get it up there. I'm excited. I'm pumped. I'm energized. And I'm like, all right, we got to go and make it to the top. However, me being the foolish one, I say, well, let's go run up this thing, right? And so um, my wife, being very wise, is like, I'm going to take my time. So we finally get up to the And it's just beautiful, right? We took a bunch of pictures. Um, We drink some water. We take a break. And we catch our breath, and then it gets real. Because what? You got to go back down the mountain, right? So then as we get in the next picture, it's completely different, right? I am terrified going down here. My legs are wobbling. And I think it's right here, I kind of really understood humility in a new sense and how pride can literally hurt you. Yeah, even for a couple of days after, right? But not just in hiking on a mountain in Hawaii. But in everyday life, we are so easy to give into selfish, prideful thoughts, 
actions. And James gives us his great warning in this passage this morning of how dangerous pride can actually be. So today we're going to see that pride and humility is this main tension in this passage. And James lay out how they contrast each other greatly. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's our big idea. Humility is the key that turns pride to humble. So in this chapter, we see three fundamentals of our big idea. As James is going to identify the problem, he's going to provide us a solution, and he's going to challenge us to act. So a little bit of background about the book of James. Uh, Scholars suggest that it's written by James, the uh, half-brother of Jesus, and it's written to Jewish Christians. I want us to start off with the definition, right, of kind of pride and humility and how they really contrast each other. And I love this. Uh, In an article from the C.S. Lewis Institute, it says this, if pride is an exalted sense of who we are in relation to God and others, humility is having a realistic sense of who we are before God and others. And I like this second part right here. It says, we must, rather, we must be honest and realistic about who and what we are. So you can say it's about having the right perspective on who we are, right, and who God is. Um, another quote on the contrast between pride and humility from the same article, it says this, it says, pride is your greatest enemy, and humility is your greatest enemy, and our problem is pride. See, pride comes from bad desires that originate because of sin, right? We see that they are selfish, and they do damage to us in our personal relationships with others. James shows us the root of our wicked actions. Let's check it out in verse 1. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not the actions we demonstrate through fighting and arguing they actually come from within inside of us, right? These evil and wicked desires stem right from within our own hearts. Pastor Matthew talked about this last week when we were looking at Psalms and uh, one of David's letters, right? His, uh, his Psalms. The Bible also instructs us that our hearts are wicked. And these act- see, it's like when you see little children, right? And parents, I'm sure you can relate this to this, or if you've ever served in the back, if you put one toy in a room and one kid grabs a toy, then the other one's going to be fighting over to get the toy back, right? And they're going to go back and forth, right? And we see this in our everyday life, right? We see this demonstrated continually over and over and want something until they can get it. See, James calls out this word passion or desires. And in the Greek, I found this interesting. It's called hedone. And this actually is where we get the word hedonism from. So going into verse 2, he continues and he says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you continue on this battle that's going on inside of us. For those of us who follow Jesus, right, Paul gives this testimony of the war that's going inside of us in Romans 7. He says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, my flesh. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do this, but sin that dwells within me. See, church, at the core of us, we are all sinners. But grace be to God who redeems us in Christ to have hope by the inward feeling of the Holy Spirit. James is really saying right here, church, keep watch and be on alert, right? Pride will show its head every chance that it gets, but we have to remember the hope that we have in Christ, who defeated pride once and for all. See, these selfish, prideful desires, these aren't of, of the Lord, right? They're of fighting or having that urge to fight or even quarreling. How about you check your heart, you know? Because there's a desire in there 
that's motivating us to act in this way. See, in the context that James is writing here to believers, it lets us know that we even can see conflict inside the church. So we got to be mindful of this. So may I ask, how are serving in a church? See, when we serve, maybe we should ask ourselves, why do I want to serve Jesus in this church? Or even leaders, why do you want to lead people? Right? In the book of Psalms, we always see this phrase, and I love it. It says, for your namesake. And we get this repeated over and over again. So let me ask you, are we doing this for Christ's namesake or for our? Because prideful desires cause conflict that even cause disunity within the church. See, pride doesn't just affect others by fighting, arguing, and even violent acts, but it can affect our prayer life, right? We, don't, we either don't pray because we don't think we need to grow in our walk with the Lord or in relationship with him, or we even do it for wrong reasons. See, our everyday relationships with those around us and how we relate to them, even in the... James highlights this. He says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Pride hinders our prayers because the way and how we pray matters to God. One of our six pursuits here at Fairfax Bible Church is fervent prayer. And I often think, are we a church that actually does this? See, the verse we have listed on the webpage is Ephesians 6.18, and it says this. It says, we will seek the Lord, his So church, is that true of us? Is that true of your prayer life? Is it true of mine? Do we seek the Lord, his will, and his way with a humble heart? See, if we have sinful desires and then we pray to God, then our prayers will be hindered, right? See, pride makes demands from the Lord, telling him what we ought to do and what we deserve and what we ought to have for our own personal satisfaction. So when we pray like this, going back to that definition, we uh, experience a supernatural power of prayer in your life through intimacy with God and pursuing his will over yours, well, let's start by checking our desires when we actually pray. See, it's like asking God to win the Powerball. You know, someone just won $1 billion, right? So I can have the nicest house, the newest car, and be happier. And I don't have to worry about anything. See, how we approach the sovereign God of the universe actually matters. So let's check our actions. Let's check our actions to husbands, right? In 1 Peter chapter 3, 7, it says, You know, God will not answer our prayers as husbands if we don't even live with our wives in an understanding way. See, our desires, it doesn't just influence our actions, but also our prayers. So we need to take heed to this warning, church. How and why we pray, it makes all the difference. In meditation and fasting, or are you providing instruction and guidance to the Lord so your prideful desires can be fulfilled? So I ask you, What have you been asking the Lord for lately? And what are your true motives and desires behind asking? See, Jesus hears and he answers our prayers. He tells us that whatever you ask him, ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So church, let's check our desires before we pray so our prayers won't be hindered. Moving on to verse 4, we see that pursuing prideful interest is of this world and not of God. Verse 4 says, you adulterous people, therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We see here a contrast, right, between worldliness and godliness. And the Bible tells us, church, that we can't serve two masters, right? I love this one commentator suggests. He says, James 
following this tradition, uses adulteresses to label his world. They are, in fact, uh, committing spiritual adultery. So think about that. When we're giving into worldliness, we're committing spiritual adultery with the Lord. See, when followers of Jesus act worldly through their actions, they demonstrate that they are serving the world rather than God. So church, when we pridefully and of not of Jesus. See, as we look at verse 5, James does a transition from looking at our own character and the fruit that we're producing to looking at the character of God. And I love this. He says, um, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Church, this is good news, right? God in this and the Lord just bringing that to me. I was like, man, God has a jealous love for his people. The Lord knows my sin. He knows my wicked heart and my inclination to act out of prideful disobedience, but he still wants me. Wow, that is crazy, right? Church, there is no other God like this. Exodus 34, 14 says, He is a jealous God. See, I think today it's interesting. We see a lot of uh, just really being anxious and uh, thinking about what's next and Early on, we looked at uh, pride not just really thinking of too highly of ourselves, but also thinking too lowly who's after us, that our value comes from whose we are and not what we've done, right? I think a lot of times we allow our internal and our external circumstances to tell us our worth rather than who our creator says that we are. See, whenever you're down on yourself and that pride is creeping in, like the quote said earlier, right, thinking too lowly of yourself and your brokenness. Church, we need to look to Christ for our identity and not ourselves or this world, right? We need to be satisfied by God and trust that he is enough. In Christ, you are a new creation and the old has passed away. You are his creation. You are. So we see how James calls out the problem, which is pride, and how it destroys our relationship with each other and God. But then he shows us the solution. And I love this. Our second point here is the solution, and it's this. Grace that leads to humility. Humility starts with grace. Let's look at verse 6. But he gives more grace. See, Jesus himself is the perfect example of grace and humility, right? Grace is God's answer to sin, and through his humble servant, Jesus, he gives us hope. See, as a follower of Jesus, God showed us grace before we were even humble. See, remember, we didn't first love God. Romans 5 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. I need you to fix this over here, and I need you to watch out for this. No, Jesus does the cleansing, he does the washing, and that's good news to us, church. If you haven't surrendered your life over to Christ, don't wait until you feel like you're good enough or clean enough to come to Jesus. See, that's prideful, and he wants you right now. See, we know the Lord gives grace generously, but we need to have humble hearts to really receive it. James doesn't just stop here with grace, but he tells us our response should be humility. In the second half of verse 6, he said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, scholars suggest that this isn't, you know, a direct quote for anywhere else in the Bible, but this is kind of the whole testimony of the Bible itself. And Taylor writes this, and I just love it. It says, God's gift of sustaining grace is enjoyed only by those willing to admit their need and acceptance of the gift. The proud, on the other hand, meet only resistance from God. God's opposition toward the arrogant person is a reoccurring motif. People, 
And we see him giving grace to those who get low and who are humble. So I remember personally in my life this happening about eight years ago at work. Um, I was acting very prideful. I was uh, really hard charging. And the Lord sent this significant trial over two years where he grew me significantly in my humility and started to rip that pride away. Um, I remember that I was looking at the pay scale. I was looking at how much authority I can have, how many rules I can change, all the things that I can fix. And I remember the Lord really set me down over two years uh, where I didn't get this job, and I didn't even get promoted for over two years. And I was just really wrestling. And um, even to the fact of my performance had slipped that, my managers had moved me to another everyday walking into the building. Um, I hated going to work, and I wasn't even sleeping well at night, right? And towards the end of those two years, um, when I really started pursuing the Lord harder than I've ever done in my life, just uh, reading my Bible and drawing near to him, um, I remember so clearly the Lord bringing me to my knees with many nights of crying out. And he said to me, I just felt him saying, at all. I just felt like the light bulb came on, right? I think the Lord really opened my eyes to see his steadfast love and his pursuit of me. It never ends. And it isn't dependent on me and that his grace was sufficient enough for me to find joy in every single day. Knowing that the grace that the Lord has shown us through the gift of Christ and the endless grace he gives us daily, that that's enough. And that is humility, church. We only experience grace through humility, and because of grace, we should live humbly and not pridefully. See, submitting to God fully demonstrates humility because we can't fight the enemy on our own and the devil, and he will flee from you. See, often when we're in, our, in a battle, right, our first instinct is to take matters in our own hands, right? I want to come up with a plan of how I can figure this out to get this thing done and for me to win, right? But the Bible tells us that these battles aren't merely physical, but they're spiritual, right? Uh, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, things you can't even see. And there's a battle going on that you can't win on your own, church. But you've already run this battle through Christ, and I need the power of your spirit to strengthen me and to lead me. In dealing with temptation, Paul, in one of his letters to the Corinthians, says this. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, church, the way we endure it tells us, right, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and he'll give it to you. See, that's a humble man or woman who is submitting to the Lord rather than acting out of pride. So we also should draw near. James shows us here that in humility, we draw near to God and cleanse or purify ourselves. But what does this look like, and why does this even matter, right? Let's look at verse 8. It says, draw near to God. And he would draw near to you. See, a follower of Jesus, right, who pursues humility rather than pride, practices regular confession as a way to grow in their relationship with the sovereign God. Romans 2, 4 says this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant for what? Is meant to lead you to repentance. See, our God is perfect. He's kind. He's patient and loving. And his love should lead us to repentance. This love I received from this holy, perfect, sovereign God. And I'm a sinner, but I humbly confess my sins to him. See, the cleansing here speaks of Old Testament Jewish ritual cleanings 
and also the atonement of, the ten, of their sins, and I think James's audience, being Jewish, would actually understand this, right? But through Jesus' atoning by the perfect sacrifice of Christ's death and his resurrection. Jesus accepted you, he had died for you, and he loved you before you were even cleansed. See, as imperfect people, we still sin and we must confess, confess to the Lord for his cleaning of our unrighteousness. And this is a humble should and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. See, a posture of humility is pleasing to the Lord. And I like in verse 10, this is a conditional statement. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he this mountain of grace, larger than Coco Crater, right, for you. But often our pride is stopping us from experiencing the contentment and joy of this brownless grace that he has. See, um, he shows us a posture of mourning and weeping over our sins. It's very important going on to verse 9. See, Paul in his writings to the church in Corinth, Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. Church, we should have a mourning, as Pastor Matthew said last week, over our sin. We see this in David, right? Like, we should mourn because of our sin uh, before God. Also, later in that same letter, Paul tells us that a godly grief produces repentance. See, God loves those who get low and exalts those who pursue humility rather than pride. So James shows us our problem, which is pride. We have the solution, grace through humility. So what's our response? We see here our third point. The response is humility that obeys. Look at verse 11. Against a brother or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? See, church, as followers of Jesus, we are clique before a holy God without Jesus' work on the cross, right? See, Jesus actually tells us to love our neighbor and not to judge them. See, evil wants us to judge first rather than to love first. So there's a comic up here on the screen. And um, I actually had this cut out and put at my office, um, at my desk. And uh, I, I got this in 2018 on the train while I was commuting. We see in this world, right? The first guy says, the trial of this guy has taken over a month. Another one says, that's absurd. Why is that absurd? Because I can judge a guy in two seconds on social media. That might hit home for us. Some people like evidence. No time. Just jump on the bandwagon and go. All right? But isn't that us? Right? That's acting out of pride. Judging someone and acting out of pride, then I'm doing that rather than pursuing humility. Right? Criticism over our brothers and sisters, especially in Christ, is us showing judgment over them. And when we criticize, we act as if we're making the rules and we're acting out of pride, demonstrating a lordship over our lives and theirs. See, in John 12, 47, we see that Christ came into this world to save it. He says, and I do not fear those who keep the body but cannot keep, kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Church, let's radically show the love of Christ to this world to love and not judge one another. See, as followers of Jesus, we should love our neighbors as ourselves. Love his enemies by laying down his life for them. And there's only one judge. It's not me, guys. It's not you. So let's pursue humility by being obedient to Jesus, to his Father. 
See, the scripture says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, we learn he tells us to love and not judge. Moving on to verses 13 through 16. It says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time for that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. See, when we humbly obey, we have the right perspective about life. We do that through contentment and satisfaction in the Lord. See, we're content because we have received grace, and we have been accepted and loved by the anxious about. Instead of being anxious about tomorrow, we should humbly obey the words of Jesus when he says, do not be anxious about your life, about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, nor about your body or what you're going to put on. He tells us that God looks out for the birds and they're fed, and how much more valuable are we? All these things will be added to you. See, humble obedience is being confident and satisfied with who God is, what he's done, and trusting in the promises of his word. Not just that, is that we... We also first seek his kingdom rather than proudly trying to build up our own. And he tells us when we do that, all these things will be added to us. When we, we can't be content when we're anxious and worried about what's next and not being content about today. See, even Jesus is in teaching his disciples how to pray. What does he say? Lord, give us this day our daily bread. All right. So let's not be anxious. Let's ask the Lord for contentment. And ask that his, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. See, because we know what to do, we should do it. And we do it out of love, which demonstrates our humble obedience. See, it looks like this could be out of place, but I just love how James basically closes out this chapter with, all right, I gave you instruction, you know what to do, so go and do it, right? It's sort of a word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So church, what good is it if we have all instruction, but we fail to obey? I say when we do that, we're being driven by pride rather than humility that leads to uh, obedience. We often think about the sin of commission, but how often do we think about the sin of obedience is pleasing to the Lord, and we should want to respond through obedience from the instruction that we're provided. And church, that should be good news to us. So I know it's easy for us to try and do the right thing, and we can wake up every morning and say, okay, God, I'm going to maximize my obedience today. But that in itself is prideful and legalistic, right, to be right before God rather than him seeing Jesus and Jesus' righteousness when he looks at you every day. See, the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to obey the Lord rather than pursue our fleshly, prideful desires. When we obey out of humility by love, we do that uh, in a way that pleases the Lord. We don't do that out of obligation. It's saying, God, I don't know it all, but you do. And I can rest and find peace on what Jesus has already done. Now, church, that's humility. Humility is the key that turns pride to humble obedience. Let me invite the worship team up. So we like to say here, taking notes, I want you to write down this question. It says, what areas in my life do I see pride rather than humility? What areas in my life do I see pride rather than humility? And I want us this week 
in your quiet time with the Lord is just take some time and pray about this. And ask the Lord to serve And then when you do that, write it down, right? And continue to seek the Lord through his word, through his spirit, and through his community. So that we can walk humbly before him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much. Christ. So we just pray right now, Lord, that you give us hearts that